Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. We're with Steve Gregory, host of Unsolved, the radio program that you can hear on the iHeartRadio app, by the way. Steve, we've got psychics that come on our show quite often, as you know, and some Mm -hmm. of them deal with police departments and agencies. And they have gone to the police to tell them about evidence that they have psychically seen that only the killer would know. And I've always told them, I said, you got to be careful. They're going to look at you as the as the perpetrator, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because detectives will tell you what the official stance is on stuff like that because some agencies won't even use genealogy. They won't even use mm-hmm. psychics. But if you talk to a detective uh, off to the side, they're willing to explore anything. Anything to get that exactly. case solved. Yeah. Exactly. Now, since you've been doing this, and more and more cases are beginning to f- grow and fester. Is there one type of story you haven't handled yet that you wish you would? Oh, that's a good one, too. I, you know, I we're looking at some really interesting stories. Everyone's so fixated on homicides because that, that human psyche really, for some reason, loves the macabre. They love that dark side of everything, and it always comes back to murder and mayhem. But we're also exploring some unknown cases of, like, what goes on in the forests. We're going to be talking with the United States Forest Service, and we're going to be talking with their law enforcement people about the unsolved crimes inside forests. We're also going to or talk the people about— people who are disappearing. Yeah, and, and, and arsons, unsolved arsons, unsolved cyber crimes. We've got a lot of different types of— crimes we want to look at and unsolved cases that are not all related to murder. Most of these detectives, as you say, publicly kind of back off. Privately, they want to use as much help as they can get, don't they? Of course. Of course. I mean, they're so tenacious. They're willing to explore almost anything. Very open-minded. Up front and on the surface, they're going to be very, um, I think, matter-of-fact, very policy-driven, by the book. But off to the side, they're willing to listen to all options and all ideas, and it really helps to triangulate and formulate that direction they need to go. And they're not they're not ashamed to try different types of, of, of input, different types of ideas, different types of things that might help them solve a crime. And I've talked to mediums before. I talked to a medium. I talked to psychics about some cases I had worked on, and I had interviewed them about what they bring to the table. And I'll tell you, sometimes I get, you know, the hair stands up on my arms and back of my neck because they're so accurate. Steve, will you interview convicted criminals like Sirhan Sirhan and people like that? I have before interviewed, uh, I interviewed an individual. He was the first bomber of the World Trade Center. And 1993, right? Yes, yes. I interviewed him at the Supermax facility in Colorado. And that was actually an interview I did in cooperation with the FBI. And I was able to interview that person. But I'll tell you the creepiest interviews to do are with murderers, people who are accused of murder. I came face to face with a murderer the other day, an accused murderer. It was one of the cases we featured on Unsolved. This guy... Convicted yet? Nope. He's not even gone to trial yet. But um, his father was driving his son to and from murders. He was, Jeez. so I called the case father and son time. 
Did the father it, know what the son was up yes, to? He did. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he did. And he was caught on videotape surveillance. But oh when I was given a heads up, and this this goes to the kind of access I get to these cases. And I was invited to go along this sting, this early morning raid to grab this guy and, and his father. And when he came out, he walked right toward me. And I looked at him and I put my microphone out and I said, why did you kill those people? And he just looked at me and rolled his eyes and he wouldn't say anything, but he glared at me. And I remember when they put him in the van and I tried to talk to him again and he just looked at me and stuck his tongue out at me in this really maniacal sort mm -hmm. of d demonic way. Yep. Like you're yeah. next, buddy. Watch yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Got to be careful. Would you have wanted to have interviewed Charlie Manson when he was Absolutely. alive? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I did an interview with a man who was convicted of cutting off the head of his lover. Oh, my God. And his head, this lover's head, was found near the Hollywood sign. I don't know if you remember this case, George, a while back. I believe it was a 2014, 2013. And the, the dog walker was up near the Hollywood sign. And the dog started scratching around in the dirt in a plastic bag and a head rolled down. The dog found the head. The dog found the head, and they started looking, and they found other body parts around by the Hollywood sign and near the Bronson Cave, which you know was the cave used for the opening sequence of the original Batman series. And so they started finding pieces of skin down in this area. So I ended up getting to do an interview with this guy that was convicted, and he still denies it. He still denies it. And so you kind of have to approach this you have to sort of get into talking about his case and why does he think he was being treated unfairly. Then you have to start easily bringing in these, you know, kind of easing the questions a little bit. And then before you know it, they're opening up to you. What are your thoughts, Steve, on what creates the serial killer? I mean, are they made when they're little children? Have they been abused and, you know, tortured basically? It's, and something happens to them? My experience, George, it's all of the above. Um, you know, John Douglas. Yeah. The, uh, the, the famous profiler, one of the creators of the FBI's profiling unit. Um, we use him a lot here at KFI. And he helped me on a case I was working on with a serial killer in San Diego named John Gardner. He had killed two young women as they were out jogging. And he did it about a year apart. Same MO. And I sent all of my files and materials. I was able to get access to his, his files from prison. And then through a source in the family, I got some personal files. And I sent them all to John. I said, John, can you work up a profile for me? And he said, sure. And then he called me and we did the interview. And he talks about in great depth all of the patterns and all of the programming that he picked up as a kid, this John Gardner, and the things that he learned, uh, learned responses, and all of the things he learned as a kid to how his mother treated him and how his mother held him, how his mother nursed him how his mother responded and reacted to certain things. And they said a lot of that comes from the mother's side. And then the violence comes from the father's the side, father's typically. Side. Yeah. And, and I've heard many serial cases where the father abused the little boy. Yeah. Put him down, would say, you know, I wish you were never born. That's, that's pretty rough for a little kid to live with. Absolutely. And then, you know, you think about the relationship, especially with a young boy, uh, the relationship with his mother and how that shapes him growing up. And it shapes how he treats women growing up. And that's one thing I have learned in the years I've been covering these cases is you got to look back at the family life and you find out how was the relationship with the young boy and the mother and, and how did that shape it? Absolutely.
My mother's going to be 93 the end of May, Steve. She comes, Oh, God bless her. She comes on the show once a year for a couple minutes and you know gives us her words of wisdom and stuff. And the last time she was on last year, she called me back up after the show and said, you cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love her. But she drives herself in Detroit. I mean, and she's pretty good. In Detroit? Yeah. Oh, She's all man. over the place. Good for her. Something else. That's fantastic. So when you put Unsolved together, what was the metamorphosis for the development of the show? You know, we didn't know what we had to do. We didn't know where to go. We had no idea where to start. So we said, well, first and foremost, let's just tell the story. I'm the traffic cop. I'm not the star. The star is the detective. The star is the story. So right, right. when I bring You're the, the gears. Detective, you keep yeah, the machine exactly. going. Exactly. So when I've got the detective, and, and like here's an interesting case. Kyle Morey is an agent with the DEA here in Los Angeles. And we talked to him about Mexico's most wanted criminal, El Mencho. He is now, he, he's more notorious and more deadly and more dangerous than El Chapo. So we're talking about this El Mencho case, and I just let him go. Let him do the thing. And I remember him telling me, you know, agents called me and said, what I really like about Steve's style is that he just sits back and lets you tell the story and doesn't interrupt you all the time, doesn't try to act like the smartest guy in the room, doesn't like to pretend like he knows everything you're talking about. He just sits back. And that's the that was the approach. That was how I said, you know, I got to let these people tell the story because they are the experts. I'm just the traffic cop. I'm going to take calls next hour with Steve Gregory as we talk about unsolved situations, murders, and other crime stories as well. Would you ever open up the Marilyn Monroe case? You know, if I had the resources, I'd like to do that one and the Natalie Wood case. Yeah. You know, I, I, you don't think are, she just fell off the boat? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and I read the, I've read the coroner's report on that, and I've read Marilyn Monroe's coroner's report. And I look at it and say, if I ever had the resources to do that to where I could sit down unobstructed, uninterrupted, and work on that case for a few months, you bet I would. There's a lot of incredible stories out there. Even the JFK thing. Jump aboard on that. That... Oh, well, I'm telling you, George, in Southern California alone, it's estimated more than 10,000 cases, close to 15,000 unsolved cases in Southern California. And how many detectives are working these cases? They don't have enough. You know, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is a great example. They have 12 detectives, retired detectives that come back and work for an hourly wage. But the the really sad part is, is the sheriff has to go to the Board of Supervisors who controls the budget every year, and then he has to basically beg for them to reestablish the budget every year. He They have to renew the budget every year. If they don't, there's no cold case unit at the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, the largest sheriff's department in the country. Is there such thing as the perfect crime? Yes. I have been told that, think about it. An unsolved crime is almost a perfect crime. True. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the short answer is absolutely. And even with all this technology, Mm -hmm. these things are still difficult to prove, aren't they? Well, here's the case in point. The very first one I was telling you about on the Gary and Shannon show, our midday show. This was a case where many years ago, 29 years ago, a 14-year-old girl was on a payphone in front of a liquor store in El Monte, just south of Los Angeles. What's a payphone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have a tech expert on that one there. Yeah. Um, she's on this on this payphone with her sister, 
when all of a sudden a, a couple cars pull up and these gang members open fire on another rival gang that's in the parking lot. Oh. She gets killed in this stray bullet. Then one of the other gang members gets killed. Then the gangs and the cars take off. So then, end of story. Well, then, fast forward 29 years later, bringing it up to 2019, 2020, a detective at the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department gets a call from this woman. And she says, hey, if you can help my boyfriend, I may have information for you about a murder that happened 29 years ago. The detectives are like, well, you're going to have to give me more than that. So they end up flying down to Texas to meet this woman's boyfriend. The woman's boyfriend provides him with all this detail, all this information, including where the murder weapon's at. What did he want? He just wanted to be able to transfer down to Texas and serve out the rest of his time in another state. He wanted to be able to be closer to his girlfriend and just go somewhere else. And so what happened was he said, well, when they said, where's the murder weapon? He says, well, you guys have it. And the detective's like, what do you mean? He says... Well, not you per se, but the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department has the weapon. It's in the locker. Come, it's locked up somewhere. Exactly. Come to find out, after that gang shot up that other gang in front of the liquor store, they took off to a city east of Los Angeles in Rialto, and they were trying to rob a gun shop out there, got into an officer-involved shooting situation, and in California, all weapons with an officer-involved shooting are kept indefinitely. So that weapon was taken as evidence and no connection to the first crime in El Monte wow. until this guy put it together. They did a ballistics test, and there you go. 29 years later, just because this one lady wanted her boyfriend to be closer to her. Do you ever take a stand, Steve, on gun ownership or concealed weapons or anything like that? No, I don't. I really don't talk about all of that. I, am, I just kind of keep to myself on it. I, um, I support a person's right to bear arms. I support the Second Amendment in, as I support all of uh, the Bill of Rights. So... I have no issues with it one way or another. I have no problems going out and shooting weapons. A lot of officers will invite me to go to the shooting range. Um, crossbow, I enjoy shooting crossbows, strangely enough. But um, Are you good at that? I am, actually. I'm also very good at... Uh, I would I, not I, put an apple on my head and have you take a <laughs> shot. You don't trust me? Uh. <laughs> Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.